Welcome in, everybody, to episode 221 of the podcast that is sweeping America, the Aratora Sports Podcast. Great show today. Great show. First of all, it's Super Bowl Sunday. I'm just going to be in the interest of full disclosure. I am recording before the game. Like a lot of you, I am going to a party. I'm actually hosting a party at my house. We're going to have people over. I don't know how late they're going to be here. I want to drink. I want to eat. I want to potentially throw a few bucks down on this game. And I don't want to be recording this podcast at 11 o'clock at night uh, when I'm nursing a midnight, you know, kind of a mid-evening hangover. And so because of it, I am recording before the Super Bowl. Obviously, look, if something crazy happens, I will come back and do a new opening segment. If Patrick Mahomes throws for 700 yards, if uh, whatever, I don't know what could happen that would make me do that. But I could potentially come back, but as of right now, let's not plan for any Super Bowl talk. You don't come here for me to break down the NFL anyway. I get it. I understand. So what we will instead do is a couple things. First of all, remember last episode, I had Jalen Smith, Dallas Cowboys. First of all, if you didn't hear that episode, make sure to go back and listen. Jalen Smith was phenomenal. If you remember that, I said, look, there's a chance we may get another mega NFL superstar on the show And did AT deliver or did AT deliver? Because if you've downloaded this episode, it means that you already know that Joey Bosa, Los Angeles Chargers, maybe the best defensive end in football, he is joining the show at the back end of this show. It was really crazy, very similar to the Jalen Smith deal. Basically, somebody was in Miami doing some PR interview stuff. They said, Aaron, are you going to be in Miami? We'd love to sit you down with Joey Bosa. I said, well, I'm not going to be there, but... If you have 10 or 15 minutes, I would love to hop on the phone with them and and use it for my podcast. They said yes, and so I got Joey Bosa. Joey Bosa, Los Angeles Chargers. He talks about his brother, Nick, who by the time you're listening to this may be a Super Bowl champion. He talks about uh, being uh, at Ohio State, being actually teammates with Joe Burrow. I thought that was kind of an interesting element. I had forgotten that he actually played one year with Joe Burrow. Uh, We talk about the LA Chargers, Phillip Rivers. It's a great, great, great interview, so I encourage you to stick around, listen to that. Obviously, I will open the show with some college hoops talk. Kind of a weird Saturday where there was a lot of marquee games. I don't know that there was a lot of marquee storylines. I am going to open with the Kentucky-Auburn game. It was just a wild game. That was actually the only matchup of top 25 teams. feel like that needs a little bit more of a deep dive. The refs obviously largely hijacked that game. Quickly hit kind of the other big topics of the day. A lot of good games. I don't know that it was any shocking results. Kansas beats Texas Tech. Syracuse loses to Duke. Villanova and Seton Hall both lose as home favorites. I don't know that that matters that much. I will, however, talk about also the Cole Anthony news, which is obviously huge. Cole Anthony comes back to North Carolina, and we'll get into kind of what does it mean. Can they actually make a tournament run, although it doesn't look good? after they lost to Boston College on Saturday. So a lot to get into. And then, of course, I will wrap with Joey Bosa. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody, please make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes, Podcast Addict, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Uh, Make sure you're following on Instagram. Do all my college hoops picks on Instagram. I'm not going to lie. I was chasing my tail all weekend on the Instagram page, but that is Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. If you have any questions for the show, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. I'm actually going to use one of them in today's show, but Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. If you have any questions, 
And I would finally say this. I mentioned this last episode. I will actually be traveling this week. So basically, one kind of traditional episode of the AT Pod where we're going to talk college hoops in a minute, throw to Joey Bosa. Next episode, I already told you, but I want to remind you again. Next episode is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to pre-record an intro. I will be traveling. I will not be able to do a traditional episode, but... I told you guys last episode, I am a huge fan of the show Narcos on Netflix. The new season comes out February 13th, so a week from this coming Thursday. And what better way to get into the new season than having, as I mentioned uh, on last episode, season one and season two of Narcos follows the trajectory of capturing Pablo Escobar, who is the noted Colombian drug kingpin. There were two DEA agents who worked on that case, Stephen Murphy and Javier Pena. In real life, uh, the show Narcos is based on the real life Stephen Murphy and Javier Pena. Why do I bring it up? It's because they have a new book out, and on the next episode, I interview the real Stephen Murphy, Javier Pena, the two guys that were in Colombia chasing down Pablo Escobar, uh, living that crazy federal law enforcement life. I'm not going to try to claim that I know what they went through or anything like that, but if you've watched Narcos, the real Stephen Murphy, the real Javier Pena, join the next episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. We spend about 45 minutes talking about their book and really the pursuit and the capture of Javier, uh, of Pablo Escobar. It was an incredible episode. I would add this one more disclaimer, and I told you this last time, but I want to make sure to reiterate it. If you normally listen to the show in the car with kids, if you normally listen to the show in the car with young people or impressionable people, or if you're just listening to it when youngsters are around, it is a very graphic interview. There's some graphic language. There's some graphic details on some things that were going on in Colombia. Obviously, it's the pursuit of a drug dealer, drug kingpin, maybe the most famous criminal of all time. And so be considerate of who you might be listening to that episode around because of the fact that um, you know it's a, it's a very fun topic. It's a really cool interview. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. But obviously, um, the, the the content of it is a little bit different. And so I just want you guys to be aware. I don't want you to be kind of in the car with a kid or whatever and, and you know, and, and they hear some things that maybe they shouldn't be hearing at 5, 10, 12 years old, whatever they may be. Let's get into the weekend that was. And I do think like the biggest game was probably Auburn, Kentucky. You could argue, look, Texas Tech, Kansas is big. There were some other big games across college basketball, but this was the only matchup of top 25 teams. It was probably the best game of the day, certainly in large part very controversial Auburn does come out with the 75-66 to win. The game, by the way, was a lot closer than a nine-point final score would indicate. It basically came down to the final few minutes. A few whistles go against Kentucky for Auburn. They make their foul shots, and Auburn does end up winning this game. Now, I hate to do it. I do think we probably do have to start with the referees, though. And listen, you guys listen to this show long enough to know I'm not blame the referee guy. I'm not this team only lost because the refs completely blew it. And if you're an Auburn fan, I don't want you listening to this show and saying Torres is just defending Kentucky. He's, it, it's you know he he's just you know being a being Homer guy. No, I don't think that I'm just defending Kentucky. I do think the better team won in Auburn, but I don't think you could talk about this game without talking about the refs. And to be abundantly clear, the refs were bad on both sides. And I do think this is where we have to start when you have a game where there are 48 
foul calls in a 40-minute basketball game, 68 total foul shots, and 44 by Auburn, you can't tell me that the refs didn't play a major role in this game. And so it was a completely disappointing uh, effort by the referees. It's funny, I went back to watch the game on Sunday morning just to make sure, one, I didn't miss anything. Two, I didn't want to be biased homer guy that says, oh, you know, the refs screwed the game. But they really kind of did. And I think they they hurt both teams. Auburn falls down early because Austin Wiley picks up a couple cheapies early. Kentucky loses late in part because of the fact that, um, you know, because of the fact that, that... that they had so many calls go against them. Auburn got so many foul shots late. But I just think overall, when you have 48 foul calls in a 40-minute game, it does, in fact, take away from the game itself. And so it was a disappointing thing because these were two top 20 teams. Everybody's tuning in to watch them. Maybe potentially even the two best teams in the SEC. We'll talk about LSU in a minute. But it was just so disappointing to watch the game unfold the way that it did because the refs largely did take away from what was a really good game. And, and it's funny, when I went back to watch Sunday, I felt like there were no like major takeaways for either team because neither team got into a flow because of the fact that the refs continued to blow their whistles. And so do I think the refs cost Kentucky the game? I'll be honest. Let's talk about the game itself. And I don't think the referees cost Kentucky the game. I think they were a factor, but Ashton Hagens played maybe his worst game of the year. Kentucky finished 6-for-16 from the foul line. And if we're being perfectly honest, the biggest issue was rebounding, where Kentucky got out-rebounded by by, uh, 14 rebounds. Excuse me. Auburn finished with an insane 17 offensive rebounds. It obviously led to either second-chance points. It led to foul shots, whatever. And because of it, That was probably the biggest factor the referees didn't help. So I do want to talk about kind of Kentucky and the big picture and the small picture, and then I'll get to Auburn and the big picture and the small picture. And what I'll say kind of very quickly is this, is that I think that there's kind of interesting takeaways to be made for Kentucky in the small picture and in the big picture. And in the big picture, this loss doesn't mean anything. So first of all, this is what people do on social media, and I don't know if it's people trolling or people being angry or whatever, but... The, t- the second somebody loses, it's like, oh, this proves they're not very good, and it proves they can't win it all. If your takeaway from this game was that Kentucky can't win it all because they lost at Auburn by nine when Auburn had 44 total free throw shots, then you're an idiot. Like, I don't know what else to tell you other than that you're a complete and total idiot. This does not mean Kentucky cannot win the national championship because keep in mind, Kentucky has already beaten the team that is in, in first place in the ACC, which is Louisville. They beat a team in Michigan State, which is in the top 15. They won at Texas Tech. I know Texas Tech does not have a great record. Texas Tech is a really good team. Arkansas is a really good team. They won at Bud Walton Arena. And so I don't know that this means that Kentucky cannot win the national championship. By the way, look at the rest of college basketball. Gonzaga almost lost on Saturday. Uh, San Diego State was down early. Baylor is playing really well, but I don't think Baylor is so overwhelmingly good that Kentucky would have no shot at them. And then Louisville's a top 10 team, Michigan State's a top 15 team, Auburn's going to be in the top 15. So don't tell me that this means that Kentucky can't win. I do think, though, in the smaller picture, it showed a few things about Kentucky that, that I don't want to say are issues, but it shows that they are not invincible. First of all, as I mentioned a minute ago, this was by far Ashton Hagen's worst game. Now, part of it was he got in foul trouble, he never got into a rhythm. In large part, the team itself never really got into a rhythm. But even when he was on the court, 
it was probably his worst game of the season. Ashton Hagen's finished with five points, five turnovers, excuse me, six turnovers, and then he obviously fouled out. And so again, part of it is the fact that, oh, by the way, um, this guy was really struggling when he was on the court. Part of it was he could never get into a rhythm, but it showed like this guy is really important to what they do. And you can say, well, Tyrese Maxey can handle the ball and Emmanuel quickly can handle the ball. No, it's indisputable that this team is at their best when Ashton Hagens is on the floor running the point. He was not on the court for large stretches. And I think this shows like, hey, if there is a blueprint to beat Kentucky, you better hope Ashton Hagens isn't playing a good game. Kind of in that same vein, I think you can make the same argument about Nick Richards. Nick Richards is maybe the front runner, along with Reggie Perry from Mississippi State and Mason Jones from Arkansas for the SEC Player of the Year. He has been unbelievable. He is one of the, I believe, best stories in college basketball. And if you look at his stats and what he's done, especially since conference play began, I think you can argue he is one of the best big men in college basketball. 14 points a game, eight boards a game, two and a half blocks per game. He's shooting almost 66% from the field. He's hitting foul shots. This guy is really important. And I think what Saturday also showed was that when Nick Richards isn't playing at an insanely high level, it makes Kentucky different as well. And just for fun, I went to look up the stats. And traditionally, I've told you this before, in the the three games that Nick Richards has played the fewest minutes of his season, Kentucky has lost. I've used that stat before on this show. I believe it was Evansville. I believe it was South Carolina. And I want to say Utah were the three games where he played the fewest minutes and Kentucky lost. But He was on the floor on Saturday, and this was the first time that you could really say in a long time that Nick Richards played a lot and just wasn't effective. Now, part of that is Austin Wiley's really good. Part of it is Auburn's big guys are good. Part of it is that they, as a group, uh, attacked the glass, and Nick Richards couldn't do it by himself. But it doesn't change the fact that he wasn't effective, and it doesn't change the fact that how important this guy is to the success of Kentucky's team. Just for fun, I went to look it up, and like I said, this was... Nick Richards' worst game that he's probably had in a long time when he has been on the court playing. He finished the game with just seven points and seven rebounds, and he was just three of eight from the field, okay? Check this out as a stat. I went back and looked it up. In the, in terms of games that matter for Nick Richards, Kentucky is 9-0 and when he takes at least 10 shots. He only took eight on Sunday. They are also 9-0 when he grabs at least 10 rebounds. He did not grab 10 rebounds on Sunday. So I bring this up because it shows that Kentucky really does rely on this guy, and he is really, 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 really important to what they do as a basketball team, as a basketball program, and for them to continue to have success. Again, I don't think this means that Kentucky cannot win the national championship or this is a great big um, you know, proof of something. They went on the road to a top 20 team. If you've watched college basketball this year, you know how hard it is to win on the road. Michigan State can't win on the road. Louisville, to their credit, struggled on the road early, although they're slowly starting to figure things out. Duke has struggled on the road. They lost at Clemson. It's really hard to win on the road. And so I'm not going to take away from Kentucky that they cannot win at the highest level in college basketball because nobody is really winning at, you know, at an insane level on the road. But I do think it proves this game that there are, in fact, some holes on this team that do need to be addressed. Not, not holes so much as if it's a bad day, 
for individual players. They don't have the other guys at those specific spots to fill in. Ashton Hagens is really important to what they do. They have two other guys that call themselves point guards on this team. Nobody is better running the team itself than Ashton Hagens. I would add Nick Richards is really important to this team as well. When he is not rebounding, when he is not taking shots, when he is not aggressive, this is a completely different team. Like I said, 9-0 when he takes at least 10 shots. Well, guess what? He only took eight against Auburn. 9-0 when he gets at least 10 rebounds. Well, he only got seven on Saturday. And you can't say that it was because he was just in foul trouble and he wasn't playing. He played 38 minutes. Really quickly, do want to transition to Auburn because I do think that Auburn, I don't know if turn a corner is right. I do think it's really interesting where they are, though, as a program because this was a team that jumped out to this great start. Obviously, coming off of Final Four, they lose a bunch of guys. They're, they completely change the way that they're playing, but they jump out to a really great start, and they really had struggled after that great start. They played uh, at, Albert, uh, at Alabama, lost to Alabama. They played at Florida, lost to Florida, and you know how I feel about Florida. You know how AT feels about Florida. I did the whole Mike White segment on the last episode, and even in other games, they, they really struggle when they play Ole Miss. And so I think with Auburn, I do think it shows, like I said, they're going to struggle on the road because everybody struggles on the road. But I do think it shows like when this team is fully locked in, when they have their guys going, they are going to be a factor in this SEC race. Their early success was not a complete byproduct of just an easy schedule or not playing anybody. No, they're actually a really good team. One, I do want to give credit to Austin Wiley. I just don't think Kentucky had an answer for him. He was a guy that was in foul trouble early, by the way. So for any Kentucky fan that said the refs only screwed Kentucky, well, guess what? Austin Wiley only played 18 minutes, and he basically played like three in the first half because he got two fouls at the 16-minute mark and basically sat until the final few minutes of the first half. But when he was in the game, he was phenomenal. 12 points, 10 rebounds, four or six from the field, and he just he just got a bunch of big boards when his team needed them, kind of in the same vein. I think that Auburn kind of figured out the, the guard situation. Isaac Okoro, Samir Doughty, Danielle Purifoy were all phenomenal. They all scored double figures. Samir Doughty was the best player on the floor. So I thought it was a really good win for Auburn. I don't know if it proves anything, but I do think it shows that when they're fully locked in, when they're not getting overwhelmed by a big uh, road crowd, they can play with anybody in college basketball. And like I said, this was a team that controlled the boards. This was the aggressor. This was the aggressor off the dribble. Samir Doughty, he took a bunch of foul shots. You can argue that some of them shouldn't have been fouls and there were too many whistles and this and that, but Auburn was the aggressor off the dribble. Auburn was the aggressor on the boards and they deserve to win this game. One kind of interesting byproduct of this game, and boy, oh boy, oh boy, is this going to get some controversy, and you guys are going to hate me for this, and I'm so sorry, but I'm just going to tell you something that you probably don't want to hear at this point. With Auburn's win, they and Kentucky are now 6-2 and two in the SEC. It also means that LSU, the bad boys of college basketball, the team that everybody loves to hate, now has a two-game lead in the SEC. And so I want to talk about LSU just for a minute because I do think that that every, they're just such a fascinating team. And let's start with the obvious. Every time I mention LSU, oh my goodness, my Twitter timeline fills up. I guarantee some of you guys listening in the car, listening at work, listening um, at the gym, you guys are fine. AT, don't you dare talk about LSU. Bunch of cheaters. I hate those guys. Well, listen, let's start with the fact of what I've been saying on LSU from day one, from hour one, from minute one, and that is this. 
there is no tangible proof that Will Wade has been caught cheating. I'm not saying he's 100% innocent, and this has been my stance. If you guys have listened to this show from the beginning, dating back to last year when the first accusations came out against LSU, this has been my stance. I'm not accusing anyone of anything. I'm not saying anything that didn't happen did. I live in a world where I go by the facts of the presented cases, and I do that for this reason. I'm not going to take a guess at who knew what, who knew what and this and that. What we know about LSU is this. Yahoo put out a report that Will Wade was on the phone with Christian Dawkins and that he had something about a huge-ass offer to Javante Smart. But what we have to remember about LSU is this. Before you tell me, oh, Will Wade's a cheater and he paid all his players and this and that, remember, that was a report of a wiretap by Yahoo. We never heard that wiretap. It was never played on SportsCenter. It was never revealed to the public. I'm not telling you that the Yahoo guys aren't really good at what they do. What I am telling you is that I am not going to accuse Will Wade of doing something until we've actually heard that wiretap. And why am I so hesitant to do that? I think that's probably the next logical question. Well, AT, if the Yahoo guys said it, it's true. They must have heard it. They must know somebody who have heard it. That may be true. But let's also never forget this. Two years ago, 2018, DeAndre Ayton, Friday night, report comes out from ESPN that there's a wiretap. Sean Miller is offering to pay DeAndre Ayton $100,000. We later find out that that wiretap wasn't true. It didn't exist. ESPN ran the report without hearing the wiretap, and either they got bad information or whatever, but that that wiretap didn't exist. And so Sean Miller got dragged through the mud for two years over a wiretap that did not exist. And so I am not going to do the same with Will Wade. I am not going to accuse him of being a cheater without having proof. And I would add this, as I've said all along, there is more tangible proof right now that Bill Self knew about paying players, Bill Self of Kansas, that Bill Self knew about paying players than Will Wade or Sean Miller. I'm not saying Will Wade's clean. I'm not saying Sean Miller's clean. I'm not saying they've never broken an NCAA rule in their lives. I don't know. Only they know that. But I deal with fact, and there is no tangible proof that Will Wade ever broke an NCAA rule to get a player. Not saying it didn't happen. Not saying it couldn't have happened. What I am saying is we have no proof, and until we have proof, I'm not going to go after him. And by the way, if that wiretap ever comes out, if something else comes out, if we have proof that he definitively paid a player, then I'll go after him. I will demand the same punishment of him that I am of Bill Self right now, which is that Bill Self is held responsible for what happened at Kansas. But right now, we have no proof with LSU. I would also say this, and this is an important part. Even if Will Wade did cheat to get players, but even if he didn't, but if he did, it doesn't take away from the fact that even if you cheat to get players, you still got to coach them up and you still got to get them to play on the court. And Will Wade has done a phenomenal coaching job with this group and with last year's group. And I put out this tweet, but I think it's worth mentioning again. LSU is 8-0 in the SEC this year. Dating back to last year, they went 17-4 after January 1st. They struggled early. After January 1st, they went 17-4 overall. One of those losses was in the SEC tournament. One of those losses was in the NCAA tournament. But from January 1st till the end of the season, they went 17-4. They are now 9-0 this year after January 1st. And so why do I bring that up? It's because even if Will Wade did cheat to get players, and I'm not accusing him of it, 
But even if he did or if he didn't, once you get really good players on campus, you still have to coach them up and you still have to get them to reach their potential. And by the way, I don't know if you're paying attention, Memphis, with last year's number one recruiting class, they're not playing that well right now. Duke in the past has had the number one recruiting class and struggled. Kentucky in the past has had the number one recruiting class and has struggled. Now, John Calipari and Mike Krzyzewski, they have a 30-year track record to prove that they can figure it out and they can get it done. But what I'm saying is, is that even if you cheat to get players or even if you don't cheat to get players, when you get good players on campus, you still have to coach them up. And there's been a lot of guys, including Penny Hardaway right now, that get really good recruiting classes to campus and don't have the success that they're supposed to. And so I will not... um, criticize Will Wade for things that I don't know, and I will give him credit for the fact that he has LSU playing really well right now. Now, for people who want to criticize LSU's schedule early, I do think that's fair. And yes, they're 8-0, but if you look at their schedule, their only SEC road games were at A&M, who isn't very good, at Ole Miss, who's in second to last place behind Vanderbilt, and at Tennessee right after Lamonte Turner got hurt, and Tennessee was kind of reeling at that point. They also have a couple really close wins. Arkansas came down to the final possession. Florida was basically at the buzzer. Mississippi State was basically at the buzzer. It was at the buzzer, as a matter of fact. And so it's not as though LSU has steamrolled everybody. I don't even know if if Will Wade would say that they're as good as last year. But I'm not going to discredit a guy for being 8-0 in the SEC. And I know it probably makes you mad, but this has been my stance. And I do want to give the guy credit for coaching up the guys that he does have on that roster. Now, if you want to argue... They haven't played anybody, that the schedule is getting tougher. I cannot argue with that. They still have to go to Auburn. They still have to play Kentucky. They still have to go to Bama, which I believe is a tournament caliber team. I don't know if they'll get there. Florida is a tournament caliber team. I don't know if they'll get there, but LSU does have to play at Florida. They do have to play at Arkansas, which is a tournament team. So they still have some really tough games ahead. They're not going to go undefeated in SEC play, obviously. But I'm not going to discredit them for what they've done so far. I'm not going to uh, you know, use accusations against Will Wade, which are unfounded, uh, to blame him or to, say, to, to discredit what him and his team have done on the court. Again, if something ever comes out on Will Wade, I will criticize him. If anything bad enough comes out, I will say that he should be fired. But until then, I am not going to do that, and I am going to give them credit. 17-4 and after January 1st last year, 9-0 and right now after January 1st in 2020. All right, last big topic I do want to hit on uh, is the return of Cole Anthony. And this has kind of been a big story. It's been bubbling under the surface. For people who don't remember, and I know you all do, so I shouldn't have even said that, but he went out about five weeks ago, has a knee injury, he goes down, and even before he went down, like it was pretty clear that like North Carolina isn't vintage North Carolina. They had lost by 25 to Ohio State. They had gotten smoked by Michigan. They had lost to Virginia, and we were starting to realize Virginia isn't very good. And when Cole Anthony went down, it was clear he was going to miss a little bit of time, about at least a month. And it was pretty clear that North Carolina probably wasn't going to be very good without him. And so as soon as Cole Anthony went down, the conversation began of, like, are we ever going to see this guy play again? Because of the simple fact that he's a really good player, he's going to be a lottery pick, and his team wasn't very good, and if he was out an extended period of time and the team wasn't even very good when he was playing, there was reason to believe they were going to really suck when he was gone, which they did. And there was reason to wonder if he was ever going to come back. And I, but I should add, I was one of the people that said, like, I don't think he is going to come back. 
I said it probably about three, four weeks ago when, when it was very clear that North Carolina wasn't going to win games without him. And I will tell you, I'm going to take the L on that one. That was 100% on me. But I will also say that shortly after I put out those tweets and I talked about it on the show, I did have somebody pretty plugged in in basketball say to me, bro, there is 0% chance that if Cole Anthony is healthy enough to play, that he will not come back to college basketball even if North Carolina was bad. And I said, why? And he said, well, you know, you know, you know he's the son of Greg Anthony, right? And I said, of course I know he's the son of Greg Anthony, duh. He goes, never forget, Greg Anthony, when Greg Anthony was in college, broke his jaw and missed one day of practice at UNLV. Greg Anthony broke his jaw and missed one day of practice at UNLV and came back two days later and played with his jaw wired shut. And my buddy said, if you think that that dude is going to let his son sit out when he is healthy enough to play, you're out of your mind. And so I thought that was a great point. As soon as I said, I think Cole Anthony might shut it down, I basically was talked out of that. Um, and I want to give Cole Anthony credit, though. I mean, listen, I, I know who his dad is, but, you know, he's a guy that he's a grown man. He can make his own decisions. And he didn't have to come back. Now, I do think there were selfish reasons for him to decide to come back. One of them is his draft stock is very fluid right now. Like, he's not going to fall out of, like, the top 15, but I've seen him everywhere from 5, 6, 7 to 12, 13, 14. And you start talking about that range, that's a really wide range. And this is the, you know, this is the thing that drives me crazy about the whole kind of quote-unquote shut-it-down process. Like, with Zion Williamson... Zion was actually the one guy where it was like, no, it actually makes sense for him to shut it down. He has locked in the number one pick. Unless he does something egregious off the court, unless he does something so stupid, there is a 0% chance he won't be the number one pick. But even with James Wiseman, when the James Wiseman stuff happened, people say, well, he, uh, you know, NBA scouts love him. He's going to be in the top three. First of all, maybe he'll be in the top three, but you don't know that for sure because when you decide that you're going to sit out, what ends up happening is it's kind of like golf, right? You're, you're in the clubhouse. You're hanging out, and other guys have a chance to do something special. So when James Wiseman decides to sit out, yeah, he's probably in the top three. You know, but what if Tyrese Maxey averages 32 points a game in the tournament and takes Kentucky to the Final Four? What if, I don't know, Cole Anthony does something crazy? Or what if... Uh, you could you can name any of these guys, right? What if Nico Mannion at Arizona? Like, like I'm just using these. Precious Achua puts Memphis on his back, averages 22 and 12, and takes Memphis to the national championship game. And in a Final Four win, Precious Achua drops 31 and 17. Like, like there's there's so much stuff that can happen. And so this was the thing that always drove me crazy with James. Wilson. Well, he has nothing to prove in college. It's like, well, actually, he does because the, even the difference between being the first pick and the fourth pick or the third pick is a difference in tens of millions of dollars. And so going back to Cole Anthony, it did make sense for him to come back just to try to solidify his draft stock, see if he can move up. If he has success, it's only going to help him in the long term. Now the question, of course, becomes, with Cole Anthony back, is North Carolina good enough to make the NCAA tournament? He was 10-10 and 10 when he decided to come back. And when that happened, um, you know, it obviously raised the question of, can North Carolina do enough to make the NCAA tournament? And it actually brought in an email that I want to read from the Aaron Torres podcast questions email. I got an email from Todd 
who said, while listening to your podcast, I had a coworker who's a UNC fan tell me that Cole Anthony will be back and that UNC will go 20-12 and 12 and make the NCAA tournament. Then he brought up the important point. They have two games left against Duke as well as with FSU, Louisville, and Virginia. If indeed Cole Anthony does come back, I still do not think 20-12 and 12 is possible. However, if they get to 20 wins, is UNC in? Please tell my man, Daniel, your thoughts. Okay, so first of all, thank you, Todd, for sending it in. Daniel, if you're new to the show, shout out to Daniel. You're my guy. I like you. I hope that baby blue Carolina is treating you well. I don't know if 2012 is possible because here's the thing, right? So Cole Anthony came back on Saturday. North Carolina was 10 and 10. Don't know how closely you watched that game, but North Carolina lost to Boston College. At home, I should add. And so if North Carolina lost to Boston College at home, guess what that means? It means they can lose to just about everybody else left on their schedule. I would also say in that loss, the freaking injury bug again murdered North Carolina. Brandon Robinson, final play of the game, contests a three, fouls the guy, which ends up losing North Carolina the game because the guy made two foul shots and they took the lead and they won. But Brandon Robinson, who's their third leading scorer, goes down with a badly sprained ankle. It's not broken, nothing like that, but he's probably going to miss a few games. So now Cole Anthony's back, but you lost another guy. But to just answer the question, would 20-12 and 12 get UNC into the tournament? Yes, it would, but I don't think there's any reason to think that we're going to get to 20-12 and 12 because here's the bottom line with North Carolina. They're 10-11 and 11 right now, and their schedule going forward is absolutely brutal. They actually play at Florida State on Monday night. Many of you will, have, will not listen to this show before, they play North, before North Carolina plays Florida State, so there's a very good chance that... UNC will have another loss on their resume. They'll be 10 and 12. Even if they beat Florida State, they still have two games left against Duke. They have to play at Louisville. They have to play Virginia. And they have to play at Syracuse. And Syracuse, they're actually playing really well. And so when I look at North Carolina, this is what I would say. They're currently 10 and 11, right? That's 21 games. That means that they have, what, 10 games left on the season. Based on what we've seen, because if you haven't seen the ACC standings, by the way, this is kind of crazy. Wake Forest and Miami are in last place at 3-8 and eight in the ACC standings. Then, in 13th place is North Carolina, which is 3-10. and 10. And so they have 10 games left. I think about five of them, which you can say are legitimately tough, they have to play again. Duke twice at Florida State at Louisville, Virginia at home, and at Syracuse. So really six. I would think that they would have to go at worst four and two in those games and then win every other game that in theory they're supposed to. And I don't even know that any of these games that they should win because outside of two games against Wake Forest, I don't know how you could say if you're losing to Boston College at home, which is what North Carolina did on Saturday, I don't know how you can say definitively that North Carolina should be favored against anybody else in the ACC except maybe Wake Forest. And so to answer the question, look, if they get to 20 and 12, they will be in. And I will say in defense of North Carolina, as long as Cole Anthony's healthy come selection Sunday, the committee will consider the fact that they were missing an All-American caliber player for a big chunk of the season. Doesn't excuse the losses, but it will be considered. 
but they're going to have to be basically perfect from this time out. So they're, they're, there's 10 games left. I think realistically, you got to go 8-2 and two and get a couple of those big road wins, which would either be at Louisville, at Florida State, get at least one win against Duke. And if you do that, if you go 8-2 and two at this point, you'd be 18-13, and 13, and I still think it would take another at least one, probably two wins in the ACC tournament to get to the NCAA tournament. Now, I will say again, first of all, keep in mind, it's a very, very, very soft bubble this year. I mean, if you look at some of these bubble teams, it's a joke, right? Florida, who basically has one good win all year against Auburn, is comfortably in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, whoever, it doesn't matter who, the bubble is terrible this year. So I do think that will help North Carolina. Like I said, the committee will factor in that Cole Anthony didn't play when they make the decision. And to North Carolina's credit, they really challenged themselves out of conference. They went to Atlantis where they played Oregon and, or Oregon and Michigan. They played Ohio State in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. They played at Gonzaga. They played UCLA on a neutral. And I do think the committee will give them the benefit of the doubt if they really are in bubble consideration. But the big question is, can they win enough games? And like I said, I think from here on out in the rest of the regular season with 10 games left, I would guess that they have to go 8-2. and two, And I just don't see any single reason why they actually will when you factor in they have to play at Florida State, at Louisville, Duke twice, Virginia at Syracuse. I will say it does help the fact, though, that um, you know they have the games to do it, and maybe they prove us wrong. Monday will be the first test. That game will be decided before many of you listen to this, but we will find out. All right, a couple other news and notes from College Hoops. Just want to touch on a couple things really, really, really quick, then we'll get to Joey Bosa. One, staying in the ACC, I do want to give credit to Louisville, and you guys know I've been critical of Louisville. You know that I said after they lost to Texas Tech, I don't think they're very good. But to their credit, this is a team that I think has gotten a lot mentally tougher over the last couple weeks, and they're getting the results that matter. They're 19-3 and overall, 10-1 and in the ACC, and they have now won eight straight games dating back to a loss at Florida State. And of those eight... Five have been on the road, 20-point win at NC State over the weekend. They beat Boston College earlier in the week. And I just want to give Louisville credit. Listen, people think that because I work for a certain place or I went to a certain school that I have bias, I don't have bias. I just tell the truth as I see it. And by the way, the truth changes sometimes, right? The truth changes sometimes. Like, you know, I, I use this example often, but at one point... Billy Donovan was going to leave Florida to be the head coach of the Orlando Magic. At some point, the truth was that Billy Donovan was the Orlando Magic head coach. He changes his mind. And so when it comes to Louisville, I think what I said at the time was fair, but it would also be wrong of me to not give them credit now because, again, it's nothing personal. There's no bias. I'm just telling it like it is. So credit to Louisville, which appears to be turning a corner. I think you can make a case they're the best team in the ACC. I, I will say Duke plays really well, though. Florida State is really good as well. I do think there's a clear top three in that league. But to, to Louisville's credit, they won at Duke, and they are in first place in the ACC. Big 12, uh, Texas Tech loses at Kansas. And I put this out, so I'm just going to be quick on this. Texas Tech is a fascinating team to me because I see them on the 8-9 eight line, eight, line in the NCAA tournament bracketology. And I'll just tell you this, man. I cannot be imagine being a number one seed and seeing Texas Tech as the 8-9 game. If they win, 
you're a number one seed. You've been playing all year. You've been busting your butt. Um, and you got to play Texas Tech in the second round. People say, well, they don't have any good wins. And that's factually correct. They're 13-8 and eight overall, 4-4 four and four, uh, in the Big 12. They obviously have a nice neutral court win over Louisville. They beat West Virginia at home. But they also have some losses. And so I'm not saying that the bracketologists are wrong for having them as an 8 seed or a 9 seed. I'm just saying I wouldn't want to see them. And I will say that while the projections are accurate, I also think that this is a team that is like literally two or three plays away from being much better than their record would indicate. As I tweeted out the other day, first of all, they lose at Kansas 78-75 on Saturday. They, of course, lost in overtime to Kentucky last week, and they lost in overtime to Creighton and DePaul earlier this year. And so you look at them at 13-8 overall, 4-4 four and four in the Big 12. You can legitimately make the case. Like I said, here's Texas Tech's resume, 13-8 overall, three-point loss at Kansas, overtime losses to Kentucky, Creighton, and DePaul. Texas Tech is literally two or three plays away from maybe having the best resume in college basketball. Because if they had beaten Kentucky and they had beaten Kansas to go along with a win over Louisville, to go along with the win over West Virginia, you can make the case that they, they're the best team, in, they have the best resume in college basketball. And so because of it, I'm just saying, watch out for Texas Tech uh, because they are terrifying. San Diego State, by the way, improved to 22-0, I believe, over the weekend. Uh, Kawhi Leonard retirement jersey, uh, jersey retirement, excuse me. I know everybody wants to say they're not very good. They don't play anybody. I'm just telling you, watch this team when you can. I think they're phenomenal. And I do think, I know I talked about it a few weeks ago, we're getting pretty close to the real possibility that that team enters the tournament undefeated. I think it'd be best if they took a loss, but you look at their schedule, not a lot of tough games left on the schedule. All right. I've talked enough. I think that's it. That's all for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I'm not going to come back on the back end. We'll skip shout out of the day today because it just feels like, listen, big Super Bowl day. I'm not. I'm recording before the Super Bowl. Go watch the game. I hope you enjoy the game. And I want to thank you, as always, for listening to today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. We covered a lot of ground. Kentucky, Auburn, LSU, uh, Cole Anthony, really fun show. So I appreciate you guys listening. If you're not subscribed, please make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast iTunes, Podcast Addict, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, wherever you listen to shows, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Follow me on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. If you have any questions you want answered on the show, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. I appreciate Todd sending in the uh, question uh, for his coworker. Also, shout out to his coworker, Daniel. I'm sorry you're a UNC fan. This year it's not going very well, but I promise you next year it'll be better. I think that's it. Thank you guys for listening. Oh, last thing. Remember, different episode on Wednesday. I will be traveling. I'll do a quick introduction. And then Javier Pena and Stephen Murphy, the real narcos. The two guys who helped capture Pablo Escobar will be joining the next Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. It'll be a short intro, very long, um, very long interview with them. And again, if you're listening with, with children, just be aware it's a very serious topic. 
Uh, takes a lot of twists and turns, so just be ready for it. Uh, and again, might be one that, you know, if your kids are in the car, maybe you save it for another time. That is it. I'm about to get to Joey Bosa. Before I do, I just want to say very quickly, shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Unbelievable show today. Fun show today. Joey Bosa, and then we're done. Thank you, guys. Here is Joey Bosa, Los Angeles Chargers. All right, and joining me on the phone now, here on behalf of Pepsi, which just named his brother, Nick Bosa, the Pepsi Rookie of the Year. Pepsi Rookie of the Year voted on by fans. He's going to get a nice trophy. Nick yeah. Bosa wins it. Joey Bosa, my man, what's going on? Not much. Yeah, like you said, I'm here here on behalf of my brother. Super proud of him for winning that award. Uh, I think Dak won it the year I was up for it, so what the heck. But, uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's, awesome. it's awesome to see to see him get the recognition that he deserves. Fantastic. By the way, uh, before we get started, I was told the the trophy itself looks pretty badass. Can you describe it for people yeah. that aren't in Miami? Yeah, it's pretty sick. It's uh, it's definitely hefty to be lugging around here, but it's it's probably like 40, 50 pounds, big matte black, big matte black trophy, and they have a can to go along with it that that there, that just came out of matte black can that matches it. So it's it's pretty pretty cool. I think he's going to be excited to get it. Fantastic. Uh, You know, Joey, it's interesting. You mentioned your brother, how proud you are of him. Uh, You know, I was kind of reading some stuff prior to the draft where you basically said that you thought that that he had kind of uh, surpassed, I don't want to say surpassed, but you know, that that he was doing things at his age, even in the draft process, that you hadn't done at your own age. And you obviously, like you said, you were a very successful rookie. I, I kind of feel like you kind of saw this coming in him. What did you see in him as an 18, 19, 20-year-old that you were so confident saying those kind of things? Yeah. Uh, anytime anybody asks, asks me about him, it's it's truly not a surprise to me. Um, I've been saying it all along that I, I thought he could be one of the most dominant defensive linemen in his first year when he comes in. I, I, I genuinely thought he could be up there fighting for the lead in sacks. And uh, I just I, – I, like like you said, he was just more advanced and farther along at that point in, in his career than I was, and I I just saw him translating very well over over to NFL, and obviously I was I was pretty right. What was it like growing up in your household, man? Because the way you two play, uh, I got to imagine there were some probably some holes in the wall, uh, you know, some I don't even know. Was was your like childhood as insane as I would imagine that it would be? <laughs> Yeah, it was it was definitely competitive. Uh, a few temper tantrums when I'd get beat, but uh, my dad would usually try to calm that down. But it was always a competition in the Boza household, whether it's ping pong or whatever it is. It's it was always high intensity. Is it true that you guys used to play a game in the backyard called "Kill the Man with the Ball"? Yeah, kill the man with the ball on the trampoline. <laughs> Uh, we had we had a neighbor named Joe Johnson who was he was old, he's older than us so at that time he had some size on us uh-huh. or more like he was our equal size because we were we weren't quite normal size but sure. uh, he he's a feisty 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 guy and he freaking he kept up with us he definitely he made it hard on us but we would just, we would get after him so it, was, it was definitely not an easy sport. Fantastic. I uh, do want to talk about you, my man. I mean, obviously a second Pro Bowl uh, this season. 
you had a phenomenal year. Obviously, the Chargers struggled. It, it happens. It's part of being a professional athlete. What you what you kind of just make of this season as a whole with with the LA Chargers? What went right? What could have been better? Things like that. Yeah, I mean it's the NFL. Uh, games are going to be close. They could swing either way, and you could end up being eleven and five or five and eleven. That's how it goes, and I understand that being in the league a few years. But uh, I mean, it's it's not an excuse, but the amount of injuries we dealt with was was kind of ridiculous, yeah. and not having Derwin out there is huge. Um, and then losing losing him back his backup right after, so we were pretty depleted. But uh, I think we just need to t- t- try to take positives from this year, see what we did right. I think our defense had some really amazing games, and until like the last couple games, we really were up there in the top five of of most defenses. And uh, so there there are some positives to take, and it's time to kind of find out what we need to work on and, and I'll try to put it together. You uh you fired up to move into the new stadium. Have you guys given any thought to that yet? Yeah, it's it's exciting. It's pretty awesome. Um, I went there not too long ago to check it out and it doesn't really look finished. You walk up and you realize that it goes a hundred feet underground and wow. the whole it's 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 pretty sick looking. It's a huge hole in the ground. It goes all the way deep down all the seats uh, pretty cool looking and uh yeah i think it's it's definitely going to bring a, a good crowd out there fantastic unfortunately it's on turf i wish they would grow some nice beautiful grass but <laughs> they can't win them all fantastic i was gonna say um obviously you know a big kind of talking point this offseason is kind of the future at the quarterback position uh you know it's nothing's official yet but it looks as though the guy that's been there with you since your rookie year might not be back uh have you given any thought to the possibility of not having phil rivers in that locker room and then if so uh what could potentially be next yeah i mean in the nfl there's a possibility that anybody will be gone at any moment i've learned so it's uh I've 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 been really lucky to be able to work with Phil for the past four years and to see how he carries himself as a pro. Um, I I'd take him for as many years as he could play because I I, I think people underestimate what you have in, in a talent like that. But uh, and what he brings to the locker room. But uh, you know he's going to do whatever's best for him and his family. And hopefully he's back for another year, or whatever. But uh, if not, Chargers are I guess looking into the future. But I, I appreciate everything he's done. Fantastic. Last couple questions. We'll get you out of here. Obviously, uh, you're a Buckeye. Uh, did you did you watch the Clemson game? What are your kind of thoughts on how the season ended for the Buckeyes this year? Yeah, I watched half of it, and it it, it was actually we had to go to meetings. It was the sat we had a game. I well, I think so. So uh, got distracted for the second half, so I missed the second half and the and the close calls and all that. But uh, it was a bummer. I really was looking forward to seeing Joe Burrow play play against them. That's right. You you were teammates with Joe Burrow, weren't you? Yeah, I it, I was I was pretty torn on on deciding who I was going to cheer for because do I cheer for somebody that is genuinely a friend of mine and my brother? Wow or the team that I played for. So I was like, oh, God, <laughs> this is going to be hard. And then they lost. So I was I was able to just cheer for Joe without any guilt. That's wild. I You know, I hadn't even considered the fact that Joe and you crossed over for a year. I mean, obviously, one of you was older, one of you was younger, one of you on each side of the ball. Did you have any kind of personal, like you said, I guess he's your friend. You, you got to know Joe a little bit? 
Yeah, I mean, he was he was our scout team quarterback, so oh, I was boy. always getting after him and messing with him. Uh, but he was he was much closer with my brother. They're sure. actually really close friends. They play video games. I mean, almost every night together. And he was at our house in Fort Lauderdale uh, a couple of years ago on spring break, sleeping over. So they're they're pretty close. So when it came to the game, it was like, do we cheer for a close family friend or our alma mater? So it was kind of. It was tough, but I, I really would have liked to see that. Although I, at this point, I don't think we had we stood a chance. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, last couple questions, I'll let you go. Um, one, uh, you know, now that you mentioned Joe Burrow, um, obviously he is going yeah. to be the talk the next three, four weeks, uh, month leading up to the draft. Uh, how do you think his game translates? Historic season at LSU is going to be the number one pick. Go ahead, Joey. I'm sorry. Uh, somebody just came up and said hello to me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not a problem at all. Honesty is the best policy, right? Dude, you're the man. I uh, all I said was so Joe Joe uh who's your brother's friend is going to be the number 1 pick and there's just a lot of talk about him coming out of LSU, the historic season. Do you see him kind of translating seamlessly to the next level? I know it's a, it's a big jump, but yeah. but go ahead. I I mean, it's hard to say when it comes to quarterbacks because but I've never really watched I don't think I've watched an or college quarterback more than I've watched Joe because sure. he like anytime he's on he's he's damn near perfect I mean I don't know if you've watched much of him but what I've seen is like kind of unbelievable because the few games I've watched I don't think I've seen very many missed passes much more drop balls than bad throws I mean the amount of the amount of throws and the places he were he was putting them consistently I feel like there's no way it doesn't translate. I feel like, I don't know, anything could happen, but I think there's a good chance he's pretty darn good. No, I agree 100%. All right, last question, man, I'll let you go because I know you got a lot of these interviews. Uh, I have to ask because it's been on my mind since really four or five years ago. Do you and your buddies ever talk about your final season at Ohio State? For people who don't remember, you guys win the national championship. You basically bring everybody back. You, Zeke Elliott, Michael Thomas, Darren Lee, on and on and on. Do you guys ever feel like, man, like, because you guys were the best team in college football that year. Yeah. Yeah, it's just that Michigan State game. Gosh. Uh, they always knew how to ruin a season. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I just kind of reconnected with Zeke a little bit. We're obviously doing our own things, but uh, we yeah. try, to, try to keep – touch but uh that yeah, was a special team looking back it's really unbelievable eli bond uh, mike thomas i mean the list goes on and on and on but you know there's there's plenty of amazing teams in history that never truly put it together but i don't know what that says about us or what the team but uh i was happy to get one before it's hard to hard to repeat it is, absolutely. All right, Joey Bosa here on behalf of Pepsi. His brother Nick, of course, is the Pepsi NFL Rookie of the Year. Uh, Joey, man, I know you got a million of these things. I appreciate the time, my man. We'll talk soon, all right? Of course. Thank you.